Hello there. This week's chapter recap covers 2 Chronicles 10 to Ezra 4. Now, as always, my name is Corey, and we are reading through the Bible this year, the entire Bible. And so this video will review this week's assigned reading. And the aim is to keep you caught up on where we are in the scripture. Now, if you've been following along this year and you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please take a second and do so now because it helps the channel to be seen by others. And it also ensures that you won't miss any of the other videos that I'm putting out here each week. But anyway, we are really cruising through the history of ancient Israel here by the time we reach 2 Chronicles. Uh, so this one's going to be a little bit longer, this video, because there's just so many really cool things that happen. And honestly, I, I can't help myself. I'll be as succinct as possible, but please bear with me if you can and if you have the time. Okay. In 2 Chronicles 10, we pick up after the death of Solomon. He's the king of Israel, right? And his son Rehoboam has now inherited the kingship. Rehoboam is the fourth king of Israel, but Solomon had left him a kingdom that was, well, it was in a bit of a mess, honestly, both physically and spiritually. So spiritually, Solomon was guilty of intense idolatry, building temples to pagan gods throughout the country, uh, leading the country in this false worship. And physically, Solomon had overtaxed the population. Now, not, not monetarily. He had actually left Rehoboam in a really great economic position. There was great wealth in Israel, but the people had been taxed manpower, labor, to accomplish Solomon's building projects across the nation. And the people were tired of it. They needed relief from it. But Rehoboam refused to give them that relief. In fact, he promised that he would be even harsher than Solomon if need be. And so not surprisingly, because of a prophecy of judgment God had delivered earlier, the people rebel against the house of David. And 10 tribes of Israel choose a new king, Jeroboam, and they form the northern nation of Israel. Now, Rehoboam gets to keep his own tribe of Judah and the loyalty of the tribe of Benjamin as well, which, remember, was the tribe of the first king of Israel, Saul. Now, 2 Chronicles 11 then tells us of a failed attempt by King Rehoboam to win Israel back by force. Rehoboam retreats back into Judah's territory, and then he focuses on fortifying the cities that he does have left. Now, this nation split has caused a problem for the tribe of the Levites. They lived throughout the entire land of Israel, but they worked in rotation at the temple in Jerusalem, which of course was in Judah's territory. Now, to top up their problem even more, King Jeroboam of Israel, he decided to institute his own national religion, and he made it so that anyone could be a priest, not just if they were from the tribe of Levi. So we're told that the priests, the Levites, all throughout the land flocked to Judah. They came to Jerusalem. They even abandoned their land inheritances and properties throughout Israel. And they supported Rehoboam and were told they operated the temple really, really effectively for God for three years into Rehoboam's reign. Now, 2 Chronicles 12 tells us rather matter-of-factly that once Rehoboam had established his power in Judah after those three years, presumably, he and all of Judah abandoned God. So that means they stopped worshiping God according to the Mosaic law. And because of this, we're told that God allowed Shishak, Pharaoh of Egypt, to not only attack Judah, but succeed in his attack. Shishak marches into Judah in Rehoboam's fifth year. 
Shishak takes all the fortified cities of Judah, so he conquers them, and he marches right up to Jerusalem. Uh, and when they're under siege in Jerusalem, the prophet Shemaiah goes to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah, and he tells them that because they've abandoned God, God was now abandoning them to Shishak. But the leaders repent, they humble themselves before God, and God's response through Shemaiah is then positive. Jerusalem would not be destroyed completely, but God would still allow Shishak to become their overlord for a time so that they learn the difference between serving God and serving pagan kings. Ugh. Shishak essentially raids Jerusalem. He takes all of the wealth that Solomon had accumulated. All right, 2 Chronicles 13 then details the life of the next king of Jerusalem, Rehoboam's son, Abijah. So Abijah escalates the warfare that existed between Judah and Israel already. But here in Chronicles, we're given a part of the story that the books of Kings didn't tell us about. That Abijah, though he wasn't a perfectly devout king, he was used as an agent of God to bring judgment on northern Israel and King Jeroboam for their idolatry. Turns out God can and will use even a flawed nation and a flawed king for his purposes, which honestly, I think that's really good news for me and you. Second, uh, Second Chronicles sorry, 11, uh, Abijah dies and his son Asa takes the throne of Judah. Now Asa, Asa is a godly king. He cleanses Judah from its religious apostasy, finally tearing down the cult sites that had presumably been there since Solomon's reign. And Asa fortifies the cities of Judah. He builds up the military of Judah. And then when he's invaded by the fearsome Cushites, Asa cries out to God for help, and the Cushites are miraculously defeated. Second Chronicles 15 sees Asa go on massive religious reforms in all of his controlled territory, even the cities that he had captured from northern Israel. And this was in response to a message from a prophet of God. So Asa then restores the altar of the Jerusalem temple, and he arbitrates a covenant between God and the people that all the people will seek God. Asa digs perhaps a little too deep, though. And he says that if anyone doesn't seek God, they will be put to death. Chapter 16 then records that after a long period of peace, northern Israel started to move against Judah. And Asa figured out a way to stop this. He pays Israel's ally to betray them. He pays Aram. Now, it works. But Asa's chastised by a prophet of God. Why didn't you seek God? You jumped right to a human solution without seeking God. Asa had essentially broken his own zealous law. And now, as a result, he was going to have war for the rest of his reign. Asa's passion then led him astray. He was really angry and really stubborn. And he refused to ask God for help when he became diseased in his feet. Second Chronicles 17 then tells us of Asa's son, King Jehoshaphat. Now, his first move was to build up, to fortify, militarily speaking, all the cities of Judah so that they'd be prepared for a war against Israel. Jehoshaphat also poured himself into seeking God, removing the high places that Asa had left. Now, maybe these were shrines to God that Asa had left. We're not entirely sure here, but for good measure, Jehoshaphat removed those too. 
He sends a team of religious officials throughout Judah to teach everyone the law of God, and he becomes really successful and very beloved by the people. In 2 Chronicles 18, we see a mistake that Jehoshaphat made. He makes a marriage alliance between Judah and Israel. I mean, he's clearly trying to avoid war here, but the alliance that he made is with the evil house of Ahab and Jezebel, so it's not a great move. Nevertheless, Jehoshaphat fights alongside Ahab in a war against Ramoth-Gilead, and Ahab dies in battle. 2 Chronicles 19 sees Jehoshaphat being told the bad news that God is not pleased with his alliance with the evil house of Omri, aka Ahab and Jezebel. But the king still followed God after this. He organized Judah to follow God too. So in chapter 20, the Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites attack Judah, and Jehoshaphat leads his nation and military in praying and praising God. And now, in this outrageously interesting scene, Jehoshaphat marches out to battle, leading worship the whole way. And when they get to the enemy army, the enemy is already all dead. Second Chronicles 21 tells of the next king of Judah, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, the son who was married to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Not too surprisingly here, turns out he is evil. He murders his brothers so that there's no competition to the throne, and he promoted idol worship. He gets a letter from the prophet Elijah. Imagine that. Mm. And this letter tells him that Judah is coming under judgment, and Jehoram's going to get sick, and he's going to die. There's no record of any sort of repentance, just that enemies came and captured Judah, making it a vassal state, and that Jehoram died of his disease to no one's regret, as the chronicler records. Second Chronicles 22 tells us of his son Ahaziah, who only reigned for a year before being killed by Jehu, who became the king of northern Israel. Now, Ahaziah's mother was Athaliah, that daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and she goes on a rampage. She kills everyone in the royal house of Judah who could have a claim to David's throne, and she takes it for herself for six years. But unknown to her, one baby boy was hidden and he lived in the temple. So 2 Chronicles 23 tells us of the overthrowing of Athaliah. The high priest, Jehoiada, has her killed and they install the boy king Joash as king of Israel. Now Jehoiada, the high priest, wields authority and he begins religious reforms in Judah. 2 Chronicles 24 lets us know that while the high priest Jehoiada was alive, King Joash made good and godly decisions, including a lot of good religious reforms. But once Jehoiada died and his power was gone, Joash becomes idolatrous and is eventually assassinated by his own officials. Chapter 5 records the reign of Joash's son Amaziah, and he's, he's okay. He follows God, but not with his whole heart. When he wins a battle against Edom, it seems to really build up his ego way too much, uh, as well as the really concerning fact that he brings home Edom's idols with him. And in his confidence, Amaziah challenges northern Israel in warfare. He's defeated horribly, and Israel even marches to Jerusalem, destroys the city wall, and raids the temple treasuries. So not entirely surprising then, Amaziah shares the fate of his father. He's murdered by his own officials. Second Chronicles 26 records the reign of Amaziah's son Uzziah, who was 16 when his father was assassinated. 
Now, Uzziah manages to lock it down. He reigns for 52 years. He's successful in warfare. He builds up many towns and cities. He focuses in on military training and even developing military technology. He focuses on animals and farming, so on the agricultural industry of Judah. And the only thing that really got to him seems to have been his pride. Uzziah went into the temple to offer incense to God. Only the priests were allowed to do this, so Uzziah had stepped out of place, making his own rules rather than obeying God's rules. And he was afflicted like leprosy, much like Miriam, but he wasn't healed like her. He lived in isolation until he died with his son Jotham acting as co-regent for him. Second Chronicles 27 records the reign of Jotham. Now, Jotham was a good king, faithful to God. He was successful in warfare and continued the work of his father Uzziah of building up Judah. Second Chronicles 28 sees Jotham's son Ahaz become king. And he's awful. He pours himself into idol worship. And as a result, he loses in battles against the Arameans and the Israelites. Now, Ahaz's idolatry might be partially explained by the threat of the growing Assyrian Empire. He wanted to ally himself with them, but it didn't work. Second Chronicles 29 records the reign of King Hezekiah, Ahaz's son. And now, amazingly, Hezekiah is the opposite of his father. He's very faithful to God. He listens to the prophet of God, prophets of God, I should say, chief of whom is Isaiah the prophet. Now, Hezekiah repairs the temple, reinstates true worship, and arbitrates a covenant between God and the people again. Chapter 30 records a huge Passover celebration that Hezekiah hosted in Jerusalem, even inviting people from the destroyed country of northern Israel that had fallen to the Assyrian Empire. Second Chronicles 31 records how the people were inspired by this Passover to go through the country and smash all the idols they could find. Also, how Hezekiah reestablished the Levitical order of priests. Chapter 32 records the invasion of Judah by the Assyrians led by King Sennacherib. Now, this is judgment for Judah's earlier idolatry. But because of Hezekiah's overall faithfulness to God, he's allowed to remain king of Judah, even though most of Judah was destroyed by the invasion. Jerusalem, the city, was delivered, and Hezekiah has some time to rebuild before his death. Second Chronicles 33 tells us of Hezekiah's son, King Manasseh. Now, clearly not impressed with how God allowed Judah to be so destroyed, Manasseh poured himself wholeheartedly into pagan worship. And it's bad. He murders innocents. He doesn't listen to the prophets of God. In fact, the intimation in the Bible is that he killed them. But when Manasseh is captured and taken to Assyria, he repents and begins to follow God. And in an unexpected turn of events, he's allowed to return to Jerusalem where he tries to reverse some of his earlier evil. Now upon his death, his son Ammon becomes king, but Ammon is evil like the old Manasseh, and he only makes it two years before being assassinated by his officials. Second Chronicles 34 tells of Ammon's eight-year-old son Josiah, who's made king in his assassinated father's place. Now, Josiah reigned 31 years, so pretty long, and he was faithful to God. Eight years into his reign, we're told this 16-year-old king began to search after God. He cleanses the land of idolatry, repairs the temple, and listens to the book of the law being read, which inspires him to renew the covenant between God and the people. 
Second Chronicles 35 records the Passover Josiah held in Jerusalem. It also records Josiah's death. He tried to stop Pharaoh Necho of Egypt from marching by Judah on their way to help Assyria in battle against Babylon. But Josiah is killed in battle. We're told that the prophet Jeremiah wrote laments for Josiah that were routinely sung in his memory. And then chapter 36 wraps up the history of Judah. There are four more kings. Jehoahaz reigns for three months before being taken to Egypt as a captive. And Jehoiakim is set on the throne. Now Jehoiakim lasts 11 years, but he's evil. And he becomes a vassal of Babylon, who had won that war against Egypt and Assyria, becoming the dominant power at that time. Now Jehoiakim eventually rebelled against Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Judah. Jehoiakim's son reigned only three months before Nebuchadnezzar arrived in Jerusalem and took him captive to Babylon, installing Zedekiah as king of Judah. Zedekiah refused to listen to God through the prophet Jeremiah. He also rebelled against Babylon, which led to the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the Babylonian captivity. Now, after 70 years of exile, we're told that the Persian king Cyrus allowed exiles to return to Jerusalem. So that brings us to the first chapters of Ezra. Okay, the first four chapters talk about this return of the exile. Ezra 1 begins with the family heads of Judah, Benjamin, and the priests preparing to return to Jerusalem with a governor or prince of Judah named as Sheshbazar. Now, they're given gold, the gold and silver articles of the temple that the Babylonians had taken during the destruction of Jerusalem. Ezra 2 contains a long list of exiles, their names, who returned to Jerusalem and the offerings they gave to finance the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra 3 talks about how the people settled in their own towns and then gathered in Jerusalem. The altar of God was rebuilt first so that they could offer sacrifices. And they also purchased logs from Tyre and Sidon for the rebuilding of the temple. And in the second year of the return, they begin to rebuild the temple. Now, finally for today, Ezra chapter 4 tells us that the enemies of Judah didn't like the temple being rebuilt, so they successfully got a stop work order from the new king of Persia. So work on the temple is halted here in Ezra chapter four. All right, guys, we made it through. If you're still here, I know that was a much longer video than normal. Pop down any questions that you have about this week's reading, any comments as well. And until next week, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.